Content warning. This video contains content that involves violence, suicide, and death. Viewer discretion is advised. Yeah, okay. We're rolling. Alright. <laughs> Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Mega Strange Podcast. You are here with your hosts, Derek and Johnny. Yeah, Mega Strange. Hello. Woo! Go Mega. It's a birthday. Get strange. Get strange. We're workshopping new theme songs here. I don't know if we're going to go with that one. Uh, I would love a new theme song, but yeah. people people love the, the one. I like our theme song. Yeah. I think it's awesome. Me too. Um, Dang, I'm like suddenly overheating here. <laughs> I got a sweater on. Keep it rolling. Okay. Keep it rolling. I'm just going to get hot and sweaty on camera today. Too hot for YouTube. Hey, uh, thank you everybody for joining us. If you enjoy this show, be sure to subscribe and hit notifications on YouTube and share the link. If you're a true mega stranger, you will share this link on your social media and help grow the cause. Today is Hollywood conspiracies. Yeah. Uh, this is the third time we've covered this topic. People love this topic. Yeah, we did um, movie stars in the past. Movie sets that were haunted. Then we did a whole topic on kind of the music industry. Today we're doing a mix. I'm at least doing a mix of both. I don't exactly know what you've researched, but I have some Ooh. awesome stories about, uh, you know, making deals with the devil, making deals with people who might be scarier than the devil. That's <laughs> what I'm going to say. Just a little foreshadowing for what i'm sharing yeah i think i, I have a mixture of like old hollywood i wanted to focus on and then yeah i have like one current one about the music industry that uh baffled me that I, i'm i'm really excited to tell you about nice we have a lot of jam-packed uh juicy stories today where we're talking about hollywood conspiracies on the newest episode of mega strange yeah, let's get into it. By the way, I want to say shout out yeah. to uh, our friends who we haven't seen in a while. Uh, Princess Bribes and Piper oh. King. They, uh, in months past, were doing uh, songs of the week mm -hmm. for our episodes here. But they had to go through a, a move. They moved yeah. from Long Beach to another city. And their music studio got shut down. We're working on getting them back into the studio to produce some new songs. But are there any musicians out there who want to contribute their own songs of the week? Yeah. Hit us up. Uh, send us a message on social media or shoot us an email. We'd love to feature your music or any fan art out there as well. We love our creative community out there in the Mega Strange fan base. So we would gladly highlight any of that work that gets sent our way. People have been making a lot of memes about us, and I love that. Uh, I think someone made a meme about, uh, you know, the reptilian overlords. Uh Destroying our show, destroying our microphones. Mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> somebody's getting in our microphones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, something's definitely going on. We love it all. We try to see everything we can. If yeah. it's about us, obviously, because we have big egos. Uh, and we really appreciate it. So thanks to everyone out there who's creating that stuff. And uh, don't be afraid to submit your stuff. Send it our way. Don't be afraid. We love it all. Don't be afraid. All right. <laughs> With that being said, let's get into some weird Hollywood conspiracies. And Johnny... I'm going to take my sweater off because I'm really hot, but you okay. start us off. Just start talking. I'm going to be listening. Okay, so trigger warning on this one. Uh, a lot of old Hollywood stories. I kind of wanted to uh, focus on old Hollywood stories uh, because I just feel like they're strange and like scary to me. Like And stuff that's upsetting is scary to me. And I hope... So I just want to say trigger warning. This is kind of uh, messed up. Uh <laughs> Uh, you look like a demon. You're like bathed in red. <laughs> demon Derek has arrived. And I want to hear Derek. the depressing Hollywood stories you have for us tonight. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the audio version of this podcast is going to be on fire. This Dude, week. people love the audio version, too. So that's really? cool. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway, I was going to talk about the story I heard. Uh, about a actress or actor, sorry, named Peg Entwistle. Okay. I think I'm saying her last name right. Shitty name. Entwistle. Um, but uh, Peg 
this is kind of a cautionary tale. And I kind of wanted to bring up this because I feel similarly about this, like the way I felt about uh, working here at Mega 64. Yeah. Go ahead. No, uh, <laughs> the uh, the Twilight Zone movie uh, situation. Oh, this is another soapbox. From this Johnny. is another Johnny uh, soapbox. Directors, stop killing your stop cast ki- and crew. Yeah, exactly. Uh, my teacher in college was upset that his friend died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, just kidding. Just kidding. Pe- Peg and Twistle. Yeah. Uh, she was mostly a theater uh, actor, but made the jump to the screen. I'm already scared. In 1925. I'm already. 1925 was a dangerous time for women in the film industry. Exactly. Let me tell you, they got no respect. She was a uh, uh, immediately signed to RKO, which is a huge. Okay, that's a big finisher. When you get hit with the RKO, yeah, <laughs> you, you do not get back up. Yeah, she joined RK Bro. Um, no, but uh, which is a major film studio at the time. I don't think they're around anymore. I believe they got uh, absorbed by uh, MGM, like, so, Sony or MGM, or Sony, so, so one of the other companies. Yeah, yeah, you know, the majors. Uh, and she made her film debut uh, with a film called Thirteen Women. I don't know if you ever heard about this. I've heard of Thirteen Ghosts. Oh, is this an unofficial prequel? Yeah. The <laughs> what happened to these thirteen women? I'm afraid to ask. You don't want to know. Uh, it was. It's kind of known as like. One of the first kind of all female cast movies. Nice. But uh, pretty woke for the 1920s. Yeah, I was reading the Wikipedia page and it was like, you know, first movie to kind of star women. But then it said also a big proponent of the slasher genre. And I was like, oh, I guess something happens all the women in the movie. Um, But unfortunately, when Peg saw the film, all of her parts were cut out. Oh, talk about getting slashed. And and the just film got slashed. Just to add salt to the wound, RKO decided to not renew her contract. Oh, she was down for the count. So that's a horrible story. So there's more. Oh, it gets worse. Yeah. Um, I I want to say this as neutral as possible here, but on September sixteenth, sixteenth, nineteen thirty two, uh, Peg left her home. She was living with her uncle at the time. She went, okay. she, she hiked all the way up to the Hollywood sign. The, the energy you're giving me right now is making me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> Johnny, just, just deliver this bad news. Whatever it is, just hit, hit me with a little bit of levity. Okay. Well, well, Derek, she jumped <laughs> off the Hollywood sign. Oh no. Woo. There we go. Yeah. Little car- cartoon <laughs> sound effect to soften the blow. Uh, I'm so sorry. What was um, this? What was this? Like a hundred years ago? Uh, this was in 1932, yeah. Okay, so it was like literally 90 years ago. Yeah. Uh, two days later, a woman who was hiking near the Hollywood sign found a uh, found shoes, a purse, and a jacket and in the purse. And she was like, oh, it's my lucky day. Yeah. I'm looking for shoes, a purse, and a jacket. And in the purse, there was a suicide note. Oh, no. Um. So, I, and then, as I said, I feel really strongly about this because it's like, you know, the, I, I feel like we're in the, the, the show business and, you know, it could be hard. Rejection is hard. So I just wanted to bring that up to, for we're like we're in the no show business. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so I just wanted to like kind of bring this up. It's kind of a cautionary tale. Like, you know, if you get rejected, you know, it's not the end of the world. Like keep keep working at your dream. Um, but there is kind of a positive spin on this. <laughs> if you uh, believe. Oh, is that bug back? Oh, the bug was no. Bad. Um, in 2014, I I wanted to add oh, this. Oh, there's a positive spin. There's a positive right, spin. Thank goodness. I don't know how positive this Hit is. Us with it, yeah. Because to me, this seems in poor taste. But in 2014, roughly 100 people marked the anniversary of her death by gathering in the parking lot of oh, uh, the Beachwood Market in Hollywood to watch the film Thirteen Women. Oh, which I thought was which I That's nice. I get the sentiment, but it's the film that she was cut out of. Oh, you're right. <laughs> like I was like, the, I, I the sentiment is there. It's nice, but was that her only movie? Yeah. Okay. Because after she got rejected, she yeah she she uh, jumped off the Hollywood sign. Well, I'm gonna say that maybe there was uh, some other things going on. In her oh life. yeah, it couldn't have just been getting cut from the movie. All the the proceeds from that screening did go to the suicide prevention fund. Mm-hmm. That uh, there's apparently a fund in her name. Oh, so, that's wonderful. There you go. 
Well, um, Br- bring it some is, brevity back it, to this it did podcast spin it into a positive because uh, it was turned into uh, an event to help support a charity, which yeah. is out there, hopefully saving lives. Yeah, exactly. So, and now we are all aware of Peg Entvissel. Uh, I've actually never heard of this story before. Yeah. Is she the only person to have jumped off the Hollywood sign? I, I'm asking I, because you researched it, so I don't know if you came across any other instances. I didn't of happening. I I have a feeling that she, I I don't and personally. I'm a, I'm kind of a cynic. I, I have a feeling that she's not the only one, but I don't know for certain. Mm, just the most famous. Yeah, just the most famous. Well, thank you for opening us up with a downer. <laughs> But, you know, I, I am going to say that's probably the saddest story of the day. So yeah. It's only up from here, everybody. Yes. And we're going to end on a high note. But let me take the reins sure. next. Because yeah. I have a story for you that is going to curdle your blood. I keep, I'm paranoid that there's like bugs on me now. <laughs> feeling stuff crawling all over me. Okay. You may remember the last time we did this episode, I had a story about a house that was haunted with a hundred demons. That yeah. had previously been owned by the famous dark magician, Aleister Crowley. Mr. Crowley. And was later inhabited by the members of Led Zeppelin. And uh, everybody who's lived in this house is convinced that there are like beastly entities yeah. coming from within. Well, I like stories like this. I'm kind of obsessed with um, stories of what they call the Faustian Pact. A Faustian Pact. You've heard of Dr. Faust, the play, mm-hmm. and it's a story about a guy who makes a deal with the devil. And the yep. Faustian pact is what you call uh, making a deal with the devil. And usually it, it's it's usually tied to like musicians, right? And we talked about Robert Johnson. We yeah. talked about Led Zeppelin. I have another story for you today, a variation on the Faustian pact. This one is tied to a man who goes by the name Jelly Roll Morton. Old Jelly Roll Morton. Old Jelly Roll. You better roll your ass away, Jelly Roll Morton. Jelly Roll Morton. Ferdinand Jelly Roll Morton. What a name. Was his full name, actually. And uh, Jelly Roll claims to be the man who invented jazz. Okay. Yes. Um, and here's the thing who could, who could lay claim to inventing an entire music genre? Uh, Elvis. Well, he invented rock and uh, roll. No, I'm just messing around. Well, <laughs> jelly roll says he invented jazz, but the thing is nobody can prove him wrong because, uh, one of the first jazz compositions, actually the first, the, it is the first mm-hmm. published jazz composition from 1915 is called the jelly roll blues. It was actually written by Jelly Roll Morton. Jelly Roll, side note, this is kind of interesting to me, was universally hated in his day. Okay. And even after death, everybody hated him because he was such a braggart. He was always bragging about his accomplishments and he was very egotistical and the other musicians couldn't stand him. So the fact that he claims to have invented jazz is a controversial statement because people were like, oh, Jelly Roll, you say you invented everything. Why don't you just shut up, Jelly Roll? I, I imagine Je- Jelly Roll, like there's people are hanging out. He walks in with like a gramophone and then he like puts a 45. He's like cranking it. He starts playing Jelly Roll blues. And like, so they're like, that? turn that crap off, Jelly Roll. I invented this. Yeah. Not only that, <laughs> but uh, other early compositions have been discovered to have actually been plagiarisms of Jelly Roll's early music. The general consensus is Jelly Roll was probably telling the truth, but he told it in such a braggadocious way that people, it felt like a lie and they kind of just resented him for Mm. it. So he never really got the dues that he uh, was owed in life, despite being a musical prodigy uh he really did uh pioneer ragtime jazz kind of the <laughs> stuff you would hear at disneyland when yeah, you're walking yeah. down a uh, new orleans square mm. um also check this out he was the leader of a band called the red hot peppers yeah anthony Kiedis. he ripped off jelly roll more and two and so did flea uh, uh john Versanti, what is that? Is that? I don't remember the guitarist's name. 
Yeah, and uh, Will Ferrell on drums. Yeah, Will Ferrell. Yeah, John Versanti, I think that's it. Yeah, I don't know. So Jelly Roll, why was he so good at music? Why was he so creative? Why was he so prolific? Well, the name like Jelly Roll, you gotta you gotta yeah. either become a famous musician or a, a a confectionery. I actually read a story that his his given name was Ferdinand Morton, and he was named oh. after King Ferdinand because his oh. parents uh, thought he would be a king or a natural leader someday. Well, it is said that Jelly Roll didn't know his birth mother, and instead was raised by his godmother. Okay. Named Eulalie Echo. Eulalie Echo. A French-speaking Creole cool uh, woman who practiced voodoo. And they say that Eulalie Echo sacrificed Jelly's soul to Satan in a black magic ritual in exchange for inhuman musical talent and fame. Why would she curse a child with that? <laughs> like, I guess uh, money. Well, I'll I'll tell you the whole story, oh, oh, and maybe it'll come out on its own. Okay. Uh, there was a recording, a recorded interview that Jelly Roll did in the 1930s for the Library of Congress, and it was rediscovered in the 1950s. And it's this recording where he talks about his life that these stories of like voodoo and magic supposedly come from the problem is that jelly roll was already accused of being a notorious liar and exaggerator of the truth uh. and then these recordings were found over a decade after he had died and it's said that the person who found the recordings exaggerated them even further so we don't know exactly where the truth uh, begins and ends but here's a story from Jelly Roll's own words about uh -huh. his godmother, Eulalai. And this is just an interesting story. He said that his godmother, Eulalai, would always take him around, passing him off for her child. Uh, he says that he was considered to be a pretty baby. So everybody wanted to show him off. Like, look how pretty my baby is. Pretty baby uh, Jelly Roll Morton. Pretty baby Jelly Roll. One day, Eulalai loaned Jelly Roll out to a friend. You, oh, oh, okay. We're loaning babies out. To also make believe. Oh. To make believe that Jelly Roll was her baby. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that baby's so pretty. It's not even my baby. That's not your baby. Nah, you want to use him? Yeah, give him to me. <laughs> look, look how pretty my baby is, everybody. That, that was the Tinder of the day. You have to borrow someone's baby. Yeah. Well, here's some bullshit. That woman, the loner mommy, she was arrested. Oh. And she refused to relinquish her child, quote unquote. Oh. So she was sent to jail and baby Jelly Roll was sent to jail with her. Can you believe the bullshit that goes down sometimes? They sent a baby to jail. It was <laughs> they sent a baby to jail. They sent a baby to jail. So first of all, he's on. He's a loner baby. He's on loan, just hanging out with this yeah, woman yeah. who's pretending to be his mom. She gets arrested, and they send Dude. the baby to jail with her. And he says that it was in jail that he was. He found his first inspiration for music. How old was he? he was a baby? <laughs> well. Or was he like a toddler? Was he like 10 or something? They used the word baby. Yeah, but yeah. I don't know the specific age. So I'm going to assume he was five years old or younger. Okay. Five or younger. Could have been three, you know, old enough to have memories. It's his first memory of being enchanted by music. Um, I bet he had some sick prison tattoos. He was in jail and some of the inmates were singing and oh. they would. Uh, so he says that they would sing and sing and sing until they started weeping. And then when they quit weeping, they would fall asleep. And that is how they passed the time in jail. And that is when he felt he, he found the, the uh, power of music to get people through hard times. Yeah. They always talk about like how rock music was kind of like, like birth through like a, a working generation and for like working class and I feel like, you know, if when you dive deep in like rhythm and blues, like it's, it's all based around, you know, pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. And I feel like to this day, like, it, you know, I, I always thought stuff like that was really cool. Yeah.
1939, Jelly Roll scored his ver- uh, first recording company, yeah. uh, recording contract with the record company Victor Records. Uh, and he became so successful in the 30s that it is said that he could afford to wear diamonds in his teeth. He had diamond studded teeth in the 30s. That's cool. In the 30s. Yeah, yeah. We're used to rappers with the grill yeah, today, yeah. but could you imagine in the depression, you see Jelly Roll Morton with diamond teeth? People are like coming after his teeth. Yeah. Like, Yo, let me see those. Give me them teeth, Jelly. <laughs> I need to eat. <laughs> and uh, they said that he had a trademark rhinestone studded smile. That's how you knew it was Jelly. That's got to be Jelly. You see that rhinestone smile? Um, but so all of the success was because some would say of this deal that his godmother had made with the devil. Diamond studded teeth is what the devil promised. And they said that Morton got his side of the deal and the time came to, uh, pay off the pact, if you will. Two years after signing, with Victor Records, mm. it is said that his old voodoo godmother, Eulalai Echo, was dead. And Jelly had a girlfriend named Anita Gonzalez, who he was obsessed with. He was like always, he was married, but he actually spent more time with this girlfriend than he did with his wife. And Anita Gonzalez, some say, she's, some believe she's quoted to have said, Jelly always knew that Eulalai had sold him to Satan and that when she died, he would die too. She would take him down with her. Two months after Eulalai's death in 1941, Jelly Roll Morton was dead. Two months later, he was 46 years old. It is said that on his deathbed, he was calling for holy oil to cheat the devil of his gra- of his godmother's bargain. Holy oil. He needs the holy oil. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, that's the story of Jelly Roll uh, being claimed by the devil, but I tried to do some further research mm-hmm. to get some like verification on this, and it was actually well known that he had spent a lot of his youth and adulthood uh, spending time with his godmother, Eulalai Echo, also known as Laura Hunter, had two names, and he would visit her uh, in Los Angeles. She moved out of New Orleans to Los Angeles. He would visit her many times. Anita Gonzalez said that Jelly's happiest and most prosperous years were when he was in Los Angeles, reunited with his beloved godmother, the voodoo priestess, Eulalai Echo. There is a story about his death that does not involve the devil. Okay. It's kind of fuck, but, but maybe it does, right? Because it's still kind of mysterious. This story about Jelly Roll says that in 1938, he was performing at a venue called the Music Box, and a friend of the owner of the Music Box stabbed Jelly Roll in the head and chest. Jelly Roll survived the stabbing, but was taken to a nearby whites-only hospital. Oh, geez. And they refused to treat him. Fucking dude's got diamond in his teeth and has a knife in his head. And they're like, get out of here. Not, not doing that. You know how it is in America at the time. Racist. That's wild. Fucking racist. That's how uh, the, there's a black metal band called Mayhem. Uh, and one of the members got stabbed in the skull like that. And that's how he died. Well, Jelly Roll survived. Oh. He was transported to a uh, hospital that would treat people of color. It was further away. Mm. And when he got to the hospital, the doctors had to leave his wounds on ice for several hours before attending the injury. And he was stabbed in the head and chest. So, yeah, oh, you got a knife in your head. Here's an ice pack. We'll see you in five hours. Yeah, here's you the, know how the emergency room here's is. Brain freeze Nothing's on top. Changed of it. today. Yeah, here's brain freeze <laughs> to go with it. No, it's like drinking a slurpee too fast. <laughs> so his recovery from these wounds was incomplete, oh. and from that point on, he was often ill, 
and would become short of breath easily. Yeah, he probably got like an infection or something. It said that he continued to suffer from respiratory problems Mm, up until when he traveled to Los Angeles in 1941, uh, where he died. After an 11-day stay in a Los Angeles County general hospital. It's sad. Uh, He was married to a woman named Mabel Bertrand, but he spent a lot of time with his girlfriend, Anita Gonzalez, who described him as a very devout Catholic. Wait, wait, my man had a a wife and a girlfriend? Yeah, a (laughs) long-term girlfriend. I told you, he spent more time with his girlfriend than he did with his wife. Hell yeah. And, you know, lots of women on the side. (laughs) They all want to get one of those teeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but he was described as a very devout Catholic, a very devout Catholic. Mm. So I find it interesting, right? How true is this story about him selling his soul yeah. and having his soul sold to the devil? I don't know. Maybe that part is made up or exaggerated, but it's well known that his godmother who raised him was heavily involved in voodoo. Yeah. But Jelly rejected all that to become a devout Catholic. Maybe he was scared. Maybe he had experienced something spending all of this time with his godmother that had frightened him that made him want to become so religious. His tombstone has a rosary on it and it has no music notes or anything about his artistic creative side. Um, I wonder a little strange. Yeah. I wonder if like going to jail early, maybe like he got exposed to Christianity or, or, you know, just where he grew up. When he was a baby in jail? Yeah, yeah. They probably were like there's they probably like church services or something in the jail. Yeah, maybe. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Well, that's the story of Jelly Roll Morton. That was awesome. Yeah. All right, let's throw it back to you for the next oh, one. Okay, here we go. You ready for more depression? No, I'm kidding. Uh this one is a little lighter than my previous one, but still set in the realm of old Hollywood. This one was kind of just a head scratcher for me, so I kind of wanted to get into it. Uh, have you ever heard of the actress or actor uh, Dorothy Gibson? No. Uh, sh- apparently, she was a pioneer in the silent film era and was considered like one of the first ever kind of movie stars. Okay. Uh, like people started recognizing her and stuff. Nice. Uh, she was praised for her uh, natural, subtle acting style. And apparently, she was really effective as a comedian in the silent film era. Like her the way she would like kind of hold herself was funny to people. Um, her, her biggest popular or, or her, her most popular films were Miss Masquerader and uh, Love Finds a Way. Okay. The first one was uh, from 1911 and the second one is from 1912. Um, all these movies were produced at uh, Fort Lee, New Jersey, uh, which at the time was the center of like the, the beginning of uh, the motion picture industry. I didn't know that that New Jersey was a big proponent of of uh, the, the early Hollywood. Mm. But so they say, well, it was early New Jersey back then. Yeah. So I want I wanted to add this little tidbit. I don't know if you remember from a mailbag, but uh, one of Dorothy's most important parts was that that of Molly Pitcher in the historical drama Hands Across the Sea, 1911. Wow. The fictitious Molly. Pitcher. Yeah. Yeah. We, we did some research after the episode <laughs> where I brought up Molly Pitcher. Uh, and yeah, it's not real, <laughs> but that's not what I just wanted to bring that up as a, as a funny tidbit. All right. But when Dorothy was 22, she was vacationing in Italy. Mm. Um, and the movie, star, the movie star decided to take a trip on a boat uh, on April 10th, 1912, so she could get back to her home of New York City. What ship, you may ask? The Titanic. What? She got on the Titanic. No way. Um, I, was she an inspiration for the character Rose from the hit mega blockbuster? <laughs> the Titanic? Um, when the ship hit the iceberg? Oh, I guess not. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Unconfirmed. Mm-hmm. We, Did she know Rose? Did she know mm-hmm. Jack? We'll see. Uh, when the, the ship hit the iceberg, she was lucky enough to be one of the first people to get on a lifeboat. Yeah, she's a movie star. Yeah. Duh. It's like uh, Kim Kardashian being on the Titanic. Everybody's like, take my spot, Kim. <laughs> Can I get an autograph? Uh, upon returning to New York, Dorothy's employer, Eclair Film Company, immediately suggested they make a movie about this. 
about her surviving the Titanic. Uh, she they had her co-write the script even. Um, the plot of the movie centered around Dorothy explaining to her parent. Oh, this might sound familiar. The, yeah, so the plot of the movie centers around Dorothy explaining to her parents and fiance what happened to her on the ship and how she sh- survived, which uh, is extremely similar to the James Cameron movie. Like, it's pretty much Rose. Yeah, you should give her writing credit on the Titanic. Yeah. They even made her wear the same clothes that she wore on the Titanic in the film. Oh, God. Not allowed to gain weight after such a tragedy. Uh, the resulting film was called Saved from the Titanic. Uh, it ran about 10 minutes long. Oh, okay. So it was just a short film. Uh, the film is a mixture of news, real stock footage, uh, and uh, footage of icebergs and stuff they filmed in New Jersey. Basically like a YouTube video of its day. Uh, the film apparently got mixed reviews. <laughs> and all People the pr- are like, eh, kind of sucks. And all the prints of the movie were burned up in a studio fire. So oh, to this day, there's so no prints of it. it. Oh, that's a bummer. But it's I thought it was very film. interesting that this woman not only survived the Titanic, was immediately like, like it was like a year after they made a movie about her being on the Titanic. And it's very similar to James Cameron's Titanic. And I just thought that was all just a crazy fucking whirlwind of, of uh, coincidence. That's pretty cool. I love the idea of lost media, yeah. especially like old black and white films that were really famous that that people of today cannot see. And yeah. And I was doing research on it a long time ago, and I found out about this like famous giant pie fight. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the culmination of a Laurel and Hardy movie, but it's one of like the biggest pie fights in cinema history. Okay. Uh, like an entire city basically gets into a big pie fight. Uh, but the footage was lost, I think, in a studio fire and then rediscovered uh, decades later. They found a reel of it, but this rediscovered reel only had the first half of the fight. <laughs> so it's this legendary mythical pie fight that the second half has been lost to time. So you can only see how it begins and like people start getting into it. It starts expanding throughout the city and then the rest is just lost to history. We'll never be able to see how it all ended. That reminds me of it's super famous. I think most people know about it, but the 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 Jerry Lewis was Jerry Lewis, right? The, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, Jerry Lewis is a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He made a film about how he was a clown, uh, trying to make people laugh in Auschwitz. Oh, I think I have heard of this. And yeah. uh, the <laughs> he screened it, and everyone said this is hellishly bad. <laughs> And you should burn every copy of it. So, so he did that. But apparently he had there was one single copy left and he uh, people have claimed to have seen this, but he apparently had the copy, the reel in a briefcase that was always on him. That was uh, chained to him. For the rest of his life. Yeah. And, and I mean, he, he died a couple of years ago and people are trying to like, like unearth the film. Wow. Yeah. Let's screen that. I think enough time <laughs> yeah. has passed. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think there will be a point where you, we, we get to see that movie. Well, this is a good segue into my next story sure. because it talks about old Hollywood Ooh. and uh, old Hollywood myths and legends. I want to talk about Frank Sinatra. Now, old blue eyes, old blue eyes, really famous. Frank Sinatra, arguably uh, one of the most famous singers and entertainers of the past century. Um, can I just say something real quick? I grew up in New Jersey, and uh, I fucking despise Frank Sinatra. Why? <laughs> I just had to hear that shit my whole life. I do. I don't like it. I just hate cr- like what is it called? Croning that type of singing, like where you're not really singing, you're like sing talking. I can't listen to it. I don't Dude, like it. Frank Sinatra rules. Okay, you just, to, you just have to hear the right songs. Yeah. All right. There, there's a, 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 a pizza place in Hoboken that always claims that he ate there. And there's all these photos of him. I love Frank Sinatra. I hate people who are fans of Frank Sinatra. Oh, that might be it. I, maybe I don't hate Sinatra. I hate the people who are fans of yeah, him. Yeah, people who are like, hey, it's uh, the good life. Hey, baby, baby cakes. Who wants to fly away to Vegas? Mama. You know, like I knew they're living that jazz uh, singer from the 60s lifestyle. I knew multiple people in New Jersey, like older people who had like paintings of him or yeah, like that, statues that, of him. I don't worship Frank Sinatra. Nope. I, just, I just like some of the songs. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, continue. All right. Uh, well, have you ever heard the rumor that um, 
the singer in the movie The Godfather was based on Frank Sinatra? I have heard about this, yeah. Johnny Fontaine. Yeah. Well, what are Frank Sinatra's ties to the mafia? That's what I wanted to know. Okay. Uh, with this next story. Mm -hmm. So I started looking into it just based on this urban legend I had heard that Johnny Fontaine from The Godfather was actually a stand-in for Frank Sinatra. Here's what I was able to find out. Yeah. Uh, so the author of The Godfather, um, <clears throat> Mario Puzo, mm -hmm. uh, worked closely with Francis Ford Coppola to create not only the book, but he also worked on the production of the movie. And uh, Johnny Fontaine in the movie is actually played by a real-life lounge singer by the name of Al Martino. <laughs> What's up? I thought his name was going to be Al Martini. Al Martini. And Close. I, I just Al Martino. We have funny names <clears throat> in this episode. It's interesting because Al Martino plays this character in the Godfather film. Mm-hmm. But apparently there's a real life story of Al Martino basically doing that in, in reality, working for the mafia. Apparently Mario Puzo had heard this story that uh, Martino was uh, appearing at a nightclub that was run by some mobsters and he tried to get a better deal for his appearances, get paid more. Uh, and they beat him to a pulp and ran him out of town. As mobsters do. As mobsters in the 40s tend to do. Yeah. And this was the inspiration for um, the singer in the book and movie Godfather. Um, that's what Mario Puzo says. Yeah. He's like, it's not Frank Sinatra. It's actually Al Martino. And it's the same guy. We got to play Johnny Fontaine in the movie. But then some internet sleuths started drawing the comparisons between the character in the book and movie and Frank Sinatra's real life. Yep. And they found a lot of coincidences yep. that overlapped. And people were like, is this actually about Al Martino or do you just not want to fess up what's really going on here? Let me give you some backstory on Frank Sinatra yeah. that will blow your mind. <laughs> okay. Uh, Frank Sinatra's father was a Sicilian-born boxer who went by the name... Uh, well, his name in was actually... Antonino Sinatra. Okay. But he went by the name Marty O'Brien. Yeah, Frank Sinatra, old blue eyes, actually was Italian, but he looked a little Irish. Yeah, okay. Uh, his father apparently looked uh, so Irish that he passed himself off as an Irish boxer named Marty O'Brien. Uh, Johnny, if you think that's wild, hold on to your hat. <laughs> okay. Because Frank Sinatra's mother was a woman named Natalina Garaventa, who was also an Italian-born midwife, but in her neighborhood was known for performing illegal abortions and had garnered the nickname Hatpin Dolly. Ew! Ew. Uh, and then, and then, Frank's uncle, Bob Garavante, was actually just a mobster okay. in the Italian mafia. Yeah, there you go. A member of the Genovese family. Okay. According to reports. The Sinatras ran a speakeasy during Prohibition, and Lil Frankie was given a ukulele for his 15th birthday and began to sing and perform in the speakeasy. That's how he came up oh. in the music industry. Was it was it in Hoboken? Um I don't have in my notes his hometown. So let's say yes. Okay. They could. I, I, I could be wrong. I grew up in New Jersey. I thought he did as well, but yeah, I could be wrong. I should have got that information. You're probably yeah. right. You're probably right. So throughout his career, uh, time and time again, Frank Sinatra denied any connections with the mafia. Uh, despite the fact that he was photographed with them constantly <laughs> in the nightclubs that he performed in, that they owned, in the casinos that he hung out in, that they owned... Uh, and he openly attended social functions with mm. well-known uh, mobsters. There's a wedding scene in the beginning of the Godfather movie. Yeah. Um, and most people, including the creator of the film, Francis Ford Coppola, and the writer of the book, Mario Puzo, say that the wedding scene is based off of an actual marriage 
um, uh, from mobster Salvatore Bonanno, Bonanno to Rosalie Profacci. Uh, and they say that that was the inspiration for the wedding scene in The Godfather. And at the actual wedding, the real wedding, it was attended by the singer Tony Bennett. Oh. So people were like, see, Johnny Fontaine, eh, maybe he's Tony Bennett. Yeah. However, people say that's what that's what Mario Puzo and Francis Ford Coppola says. But there's another real world wedding in the Genovese family uh, that Sinatra did attend. Uh, it was the wedding of Willie Moretti, who was said to have been Frank Sinatra's, you know, godfather. Oh, unquote. And he attended that wedding, and he brought Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis, and Milton Berle with him. He brought them all. He brought the whole gang to Moretti's wedding. So there's this connection here. Keep this in mind. This uh, figure, this guy named Willie Moretti, Mm -hmm. who had this wedding that Frank Sinatra had attended, right? Just remember, Moretti and Sinatra, they were at the wedding. Okay. In the Godfather movie, there's this famous scene where Johnny Fontaine needs to get out of a recording contract. Yeah. Uh, And he goes to Vito. And Vito personally goes to renegotiate the contract and offers the record executive $10,000 to buy out the contract. The executive rejects it. So Vito offers him, makes an offer he can't refuse. The famous, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Put a gun to his head. <clears throat> yeah, he puts a gun to his head and he says, um, it's either going to be your signature on your paper or your brains. Yeah. And he buys out the contract for $1,000. That's how it goes in The Godfather. Yeah, yeah. Well, Frank Sinatra had a recording deal um, with uh, leader of uh, a band leader from some New Jersey clubs by the name of Tommy Dorsey. He signed a contract with Tommy Dorsey in 1939. Well, by 1941, Frank Sinatra was tearing up the charts and he wanted a better deal or he wanted to be let out of his contract with Tommy Dorsey. Dorsey refused to release Frank Sinatra from his contract. There is a story that says. The bug on your mic. Oh, geez. That's okay. Where are all these bugs? I don't know. There's been bugs. That's why. Sorry. That's why I wanted to. Get out of here, you little bugger. They look like. uh, Thanks for saving my life. Termites. I almost inhaled a bug. All right. Is your mic working? Sorry. Yes, my microphone is working. Apparently. My mom just called me. Are there any, can I get through my Sinatra story without bugs crawling on my microphone or Johnny questioning my technical equipment here or my mom calling me? Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> Dude, I can't, there's a bug. On, that's fucking gross. Am I boring you with my story? No. Tommy? Is that what's really going on here? No, I was listening to you. I was listening so intently that I saw the bug. The guy from that wedding. Yeah. Willie Moretti. Yeah. He visited Tommy Dorsey. He stuck a gun in his mouth and he bought Frank Sinatra's contract for $1. Damn. Is that the inspiration? 100%. For the scene in The Godfather? We don't know. Um, later on in life, it is said that Frank Sinatra introduced um, uh, members of uh, the... Giancana family to John F. Kennedy and that uh, John F. Kennedy after this meeting shared a girlfriend with one of these mobsters and that this uh, girlfriend was a liaison between the mafia and John F. Kennedy that they were working in cahoots to secure votes for John F. Kennedy and that the mobsters were going to influence the Unions, the workers' unions of America, to get them to vote for JFK. Okay. Um, all of this was covered and kind of came out in an FBI report about Frank Sinatra because Frank Sinatra had suspected that the FBI had been monitoring him 
And in 1981, he requested the FBI deliver him his own file through the America Freedom of Information Act. Um, and this file is basically full of shady dealings that Frank Sinatra had and connections with uh, his friends in the crime family. And it also had extensive uh, reconnaissance about him speaking out against racism and on behalf of democracy. So I guess the American government was really worried about Frank Sinatra and they didn't know if he was like a friend of the nation or an enemy of the nation. And at the end of the day, they were like, meh, a little mixed. He's friends with all these mobsters. He's well-connected. We don't think he's any, committing any crimes. He seems to be uh, against racism and pro-democracy. We're going to give him a thumbs up. Mm. I don't know. So uh, that's basically it. That's the extent of Frank Sinatra's ties to the mafia. Uh, when I was in film school, I was told that he uh, tried, he wanted to be a movie star really bad. Yeah. But uh, the, all the producers would reject him. Yeah. And that the horse head scene is also based off of him. And that's how he got in the movie The Manchurian Candidate. Well, so I I do have that as well. That's not in yeah. my notes. I cut it out. Yeah, yeah. But I because it didn't have to do with the mafia necessarily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I will. Well, let's cover because I didn't sure. get information on that. So in the Godfather film, there's a movie producer who doesn't want to put Johnny Fontaine into a movie. Yeah, yeah. And Vito goes to talk to the movie producer and asks why. And he says, essentially, the producer goes, Fuck Johnny Fontaine. I hate that guy. Yeah. And he explains that he had an actress who he was grooming to be a starlet. Mm. But Johnny Fontaine defiled her. Oh. Right? He had sex or whatever with this actress and ruined her innocence uh, in the eyes of this producer who had put so many years of work to develop her as an up-and-coming actress. Frank Sinatra, I believe, worked for RKO. Okay. Uh, but was released from RKO almost immediately following his announcement of his marriage to Ava Gardner. And people think that that plot point in the movie is a reference to this, basically that situation that Ava Gardner was an up and coming actress with RKO and they did not approve of the relationship that she had started yeah. with Frank Sinatra. Uh, so they tried to kick him out of the industry after that happened. Frank Sinatra eventually did make his way into a movie called From Here to Eternity mm. that he won an Oscar for. Oh, yeah. Uh, but again, it's not clear if maybe there were some connections that he had to some certain individuals who were able to influence the voting process to help Frank Sinatra secure that Oscar. We don't know. I heard somewhere he was also supposed to be in Die Hard. Like in the early uh, scripting phase, they wow. like got him on board. Wow. And then Who would he have played in Die Hard? John McClane. Frank Sinatra. Apparently it was like based off of. He would have been in his 80s. Yeah. Apparently Die Hard is based off of some type of serial or like book series or something that, that he w always wanted to be a part of. Yeah. And they're like, we're doing it. And then he was like, yeah, I'll be in it. And then it was like, you know, he's 80. So they they went without him. Hmm. but I don't know how true that is. That's something I heard on a podcast once. Interesting. Uh, so that's Frank Sinatra's ties to organized crime. Hell yeah. What do you got for us? You got one more story. I right? got the, I got a final story here. We're going to, we're going to end on a silly note here. Uh, when I was doing my research, this kept coming up and I, I still am weirded out by it, but apparently there's not a lot on this, but uh, it's it's just baffling that uh, people think singer songwriter Lord, uh, you know of Lord, I, I assume. Yeah, she, she did the song Royals. Yeah, yeah, Royals never be Royals. Royals. Well, there's a conspiracy theory that the singer songwriter Lord sucks. Is bad. The songs uh, are actually not good. Is is <laughs> that she is uh, secretly forty years old. Well, how old does she claim to be? 24. So there's this uh, conspiracy theory that she's 16 years older than she claims. Fans think she is 40, a 40 year old in disguise. Why? Why do they think these things? One. Okay. Well, she looks 40. 
She, she, she does look a little mature for 24. Okay. Two. She acts pretty mature. She, she does act pretty. She, she's not really wrapped up by the day-to-day materialistic uh, boy crazy cra- uh, craze of the average uh, 20-something-year-old. Yeah, she's pretty mature. And that's all they're going off of. There's like multiple Reddit threads and like forums dedicated to figuring out Lord's actual age. <laughs> and and <laughs> they, they find nothing because she is 24 years old. Well, maybe she's 26. Oh. She could be older than she claims. Maybe she's 27. Who knows? This got so out of hand that uh, the publication Jezebel. Yeah. Uh, one of their writers requested Lord's birth certificate. And got it? Uh, from the New Zealand government. and But they offered $17.02 for it. I don't know why that that's such an arbitrary number. Processing fee, maybe? Maybe, maybe that's like a joke I, I don't get. But um, they couldn't get the birth certificate, but instead they got multiple handwritten notes or, or typed notes that claimed that she was born in 1996. Okay. That would make her older than 24. Oh. That would make her 26. She's 26. Just like I said, maybe she's 26. I called it. That's crazy. Lord, when's the new album coming out? I think a new album did come out. You should have a song on it called I'm 40. (laughs) Play into the conspiracy. You know, just mess with our heads. We would love it. Yeah, the the album cover is like her, like it's like a fucking close up shot of her butt, like walking. Yeah, that's so desperate. She's trying to pretend. Yeah, she's like, would a 40-year-old do this? Yeah, that's what a 40-year-old thinks a 24-year-old's album cover would be. This conspiracy theory is starting to add up, It has legs now. Oh, it has legs. Look at the album cover. Definitely. Yeah, that's a hint. Well, everybody, I'm going to have to think on this all week and give you my review later, but that does bring us to the end of this episode of Mega Strange. Hey, Wednesday... We're going to have a crazy mailbag episode. I hope so. Are you tuned in to our YouTube channel? Are you subscribed? Are you watching our Wednesday episodes? They're just as good, if not better, than these Saturday episodes. So check them out. And be sure you follow us on Instagram at Mega Strange Podcasts. We are posting exclusive content, videos, pictures, stories, reels, all kinds of awesome stuff trying to engage everybody out there, all the Mega Strangers So make sure you're tuned in so you're not missing a single beat. We'll be back next Saturday with a full-length episode. Mailbag on Wednesday. That's Johnny. This is Derek. You're watching Mega Strange. Stay strange, everybody. Uh, If you want to, like, share this with your friend, that would be really appreciated. Johnny, I had such Uh, a strong ending. You're going to mumble us out of here? Yeah. uh, This is how you do it. You just pop it on and you go, these guys are crazy. And then you, like, make your friend watch it. Anyway, good night. All right. Thanks, everybody.